The Eagle and Child, Episode 31. Mere Christianity, Book 4, Chapter 3. Time and Beyond Time. Hello, and welcome to The Eagle and Child, the hallowed pub of the Inklings. This is a podcast where each week, my friend Matt and I share a beer and we discuss the writings of the author known to the world as Clive Staples Lewis, or C.S. Lewis, or just as Jack to his friends. My name is David, and in today's episode, we'll be looking at the complex subject of time. And we're going to be spending this time with my co-host, Matt. And friends, if we thought last week's discussion on three persons, yet one being, bringing in all these dimensions and experimental knowledge, was tough, today we have the oh-so-easy task of discussing time and God being outside of time. Have you ever read uh, St. Augustine's Confessions? And you did a course on Augustine. I did. He has a chapter on time. Blew my mind. Uh-huh. <laughs> I should have reread it for this because I actually don't remember any of it. It was very difficult. I, it gave me a migraine. I'll leave it to you, the person with the smart sounding accent, to bring all of the Augustine theology into this episode. Yeah, I'm not doing that. I, I, have, I have an alternative in mind, but we'll get to that later. All right. Even though this is a complex task... Understanding this can help us better understand some very difficult questions or criticisms of Christianity. Maybe you're someone who's always wondered, if God is all-knowing, how do we still have free will? Or how can God, who keeps creation going, have continued keeping it going while he entered into creation? Or finally, how can God be attending to hundreds of millions of prayers at once? I like to think there's hundreds of millions at once. (laughs) At least during football season. At least during football season, yes. And I laugh when I when I uh, was thinking about this. It made me think of the movie Bruce Almighty. Have you seen it? Excellent movie. Oh, it's so funny when he, he gets the powers of God and he's, he's hearing all of these prayers in his head and he can't control them. So he puts them into Yahoo email, I think it was, or AOL or something. Well, he first of all tries converting them all into post-its. Yes, post-its. His room fills full. And he does email and he tries replying to them one at a time. And then he clicks... Yes, all. <laughs> Reply all, yes. And I just died laughing. And then it shows the lottery gets split to like $15 a person because how many people want to win the lottery? Uh, but that is something we wrestle with. I actually love that movie, just as an aside. I, I think the theology is pretty good. I mean, they do a pretty good job of explaining the Trinity. They do. And also, what's, what's the bottom line of that story? What does Bruce want more than anything else? To be God. No, he wants grace. Oh. Yeah. You tricked me. I did. (laughs) Oh, tell us what the quote is for today. Well, we're going to be talking about time. So I thought, keep it simple. This is from one of Lewis's Christian reflections on historicism. He says, Where except in the present can the eternal be met? This is going to make more sense when we talk about God outside of time and always being now. So remember that word now, and you're going to think back to this quote later. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, Just before we go any further, I wanted to mention a book I'm reading at the moment. It's uh, C.S. Lewis and Narnia for Dummies. It's written by... That's probably a pretty humble thing for you to say that. Well, I'm kind of a humble guy, you see. (laughs) For dummies. (laughs) I'm okay. I actually really like the Dummies series. I think they're really, really good. Uh, The Dummies series and and the Such and Such for Idiots series. I have multiple books. You keep telling yourself that. <laughs> but it's by Richard Wagner, 
and it's really good. It gives you a really good overview, uh, looks at most of Lewis's major works and even breaks them down a little bit uh, with a particular focus on the Chronicles of Narnia. This sounds like a fantastic book, actually. Mm-hmm. You should take it on your trip to Michigan. Yeah, I'll be there for a month. A little over, actually, to the fourth. Yeah, well, since we're talking about uh, time and distortions of time, this will be published while you're in Michigan, but we're recording it beforehand. Ooh. So we have foreknowledge of what's to come. Well, do we? I'm not sure. (laughs) We'll find out. Stay tuned. (laughs) Anyway, uh, today we're drinking Ballast Point Victory at Sea, which is a porter, so it's dark, and it's with coffee and vanilla. Cheers. Cheers. That's a little heavier than last week's Guinness. Mm, it's nice though. You can it is. you can smell and taste the coffee. And typically, when coffee is infused into alcohol, it tends, the coffee smell tends to and taste tends to fade after a while. But they did a good job on this one. I love how Jack begins this chapter by saying, "You know, you can skip this chapter if you're someone that sometimes skips chapters, and this isn't something that applies to you." I thought that was an interesting way to start. Yeah, but once again, we have to reiterate, that does not apply to this podcast. No. You cannot skip this podcast. We took time to make it. You should take time to listen to it. And you know, as I was actually... And your life will be better. You'll be stronger, better looking, <laughs> be able to talk to girls. It's, it's and we thought that. the art of manliness was a good podcast. This <laughs> is a real one. This is how you become a real virtuous man. Quite right. But I, I was thinking, though, as I asked those questions in the beginning, I don't think this is one I would want to skip. Those are questions. He's saying, of course, this isn't necessarily going to be perfect chapter, but those that should get you closer to being able to understand those questions. And for a lot of people, those could be holdups. So, for me, I think the material he covers is really valuable. I do too. But those questions, I never asked. I. I That's a good way e- to put e- it. Each of those questions, I went, no, I have a different way of explaining this, or no, this just seems obvious to me. Um, but I think the content of what he says for me applies in other ways. That's a good way to put it. It's super valuable. It's not necessarily, well, it's not necessary for your journey per se. Sure. Some people might be. Uh, when you're reading books, do you skip chapters? Never on fiction books. I, I enjoy reading fiction books. Uh, non-fiction books? Actually, yeah. Uh, from time to time. Really theology type books. So I'm going to this book that was given to me called The Evidence for God. And... I'm looking at some chapters. I'm like, all right, this might not apply to me. I skim part of it to see if I'm correct there. And I go, eh, yeah, this isn't going to apply to me. See, I will sometimes skip ahead, but I will, will always then come back and read the rest of the book. So uh, C.S. Lewis for Dummies, I skipped ahead to read the chapter on The Great Divorce, which is the book that we're reading in our C.S. Lewis book club. But once I read it, I then had to go back and started at the beginning. Because I just kind of figure if an author has written a book in a certain order, that's the order he thinks I should read things in. It's true. You know, the one thing I don't do, Bill Gates says when he starts a book, he will always finish it. I'm the type where if I'm 50, I'll always go pretty far into it, but if mm-hmm. I'm 50, 100 pages in and I'm getting nothing out of this, there are so many books out there, on to the next one. Yeah. You have a limited amount of life and a limited amount of books you'll be able to read. I'd say about the 25% way through is about the time I'll decide yes. whether or not to call it. You got to get, you got to get into the meat. Yeah. But then you can, yeah, for me, there's, there's a better book out there. Unless somebody has really recommended it to me. Actually, that... If I value their opinion, I will slog through to the end. That's and true. Then just castigate them for 
wasting my time. <laughs> or at least if you're being humble and kind, put a mental note that I will never listen to their advice again. Their stamp of approval is dead to me. <laughs> it's revoked. Yep. So in the previous chapter, Lewis spoke about prayer and how we experience the three personal God through prayer. And he now tells us that we're going to consider that subject a little further. Actually, as an aside, I recently read Letters to Malcolm. So if you want to know more about prayer, I definitely recommend that book because he covers it in far greater detail. It's yeah. a Lewis book? I never heard of that. Yeah. It's, uh, uh, there, Malcolm wasn't a person from what I understand. It's, it, it's a fictional person, but he wrote it in the form of letters. So I got gotcha. he actually has little arguments with Malcolm and talks about his family. It's, it's rather cute. Um, but <laughs> it was just a vehicle to be able to discuss some of these things. Anyway, Lewis addresses the question as to how God can hear prayer, or more specifically, how God can hear all prayers at the same time. He said, A man puts it to me saying, I can believe in God all right, but what I cannot swallow is the idea of him attending to several hundred million human beings who are all addressing him at the same moment. And Lewis says he's found quite a lot of people feel this objection. Although, I've got to say for myself, I've never thought this. It just seems rather a strange objection to me. It seems bizarre to think that something is too hard for God. And this is how I thought about it, is God has this supernatural power, and that's why he's able to listen to all these prayers. But that's, interestingly, not the way Jack explains it. He says, most of us can imagine God attending to any number of applicants if they came to him one at a time, and he had an infinite amount of time to do it. But the difficulty comes in God answering or listening to these prayers all at the same time. And this is that mind-blowing point when I read this from C.S. Lewis. Our life comes moment by moment. And they're fleeting. They're short. So it's hard to grasp this idea of God hearing all these prayers. But this assumes that God is the same as us inside of time. But he's not. And Lewis even says, many learned men do not agree with that, meaning that he is in time. Instead, what Lewis says is, every moment is present to God. Present to God. He says his life doesn't consist of a series of moments following one another. If a million people are praying to him at 10.30 tonight, he need not listen to them all in that one little snippet which we call 10.30. 10.30 and every other moment from the beginning of the world is always present to him. This goes back to my quote. <laughs> well done. You connect with the eternal when you're in the present because the eternal is always present. Years ago, I can't remember the book. I want to say it was Divine Intimacy. Not sure. Uh, but there was a book that described time as a parenthetical insertion. So we normally talk about parentheses when you're putting a comment in on something you just happened. That's kind of what time is. Time is something that came into existence that God is outside of. It actually reminds me of the movie Spaceballs. Have you seen it? <laughs> no, but that title is incredible. Uh, it's a, well, you've now seen all of the Star Wars movies, so you're ready to see this. Okay. That's a good way to build that up. It's, it's, a, it's a spoof of Star Wars. And at one point, they're looking, the bad guys are looking for the good guys. And so they get out the video of the very movie that they're recording. They say it's a, the latest breakthrough in, in, in movies, that you can watch movies while they're still being filmed. Huh. And there's this really great back and forth. Hang on, let me, let me just pull up the script. Okay. So if you're pulling up the script, does that mean I'm playing a role here? Yes, yes. I want you to play the role of Dark Helmet who's the, uh, the spoof of Darth Vader here. And so setting up the scene that they are now watching the video of themselves in that very scene itself. Let me get into my acting mode here. This is going to be sent around Hollywood. 
All right. When does this happen in the movie? Now. You're looking at now, sir. Everything that happens now is happening now. What happened to then? We passed then. When? Just now. We're at now. Now. Go back to then. When? Now. How? Now. <laughs> Let's start again. Start it from when. When? Now. Now? Now. I can't. Why? We missed it. When? Just now. When will that be now? Soon. <laughs> That's great. Uh... Watch the movie. It's, it's, it's way better. I'm going to now. <laughs> There's no way that's better than how we did that. <laughs> Probably not. Although I actually thought of this scene when I first read Augustine's chapter in his Confessions on Time. That was all I could think of. Dark Helmet and Colonel Sanders. I feel like I'm about to give away we record two episodes in a weekend, but I'm not watching Terminator tonight. I'm watching Spaceballs. <laughs> <laughs> it is way better. <laughs> okay. With that little aside, uh, Lewis offers two analogies to help us understand this idea of God being out of time and eternally present. Lewis says, suppose I'm writing a novel and I write, Mary laid down her work. Next moment came a knock at the door. As a reader, this is happening instantaneously. And for Mary, it's happening instantaneously. Exactly. But for Lewis, if he's writing this, or me, as this budding author, I could write that first part of it and then in between the, the writing, the laying down her work and the knock at the door, I could take three hours. But it's instantaneous for Mary. Now, Lewis says this isn't a perfect analogy, and honestly, what analogy is. But he says it conveys the important idea that God isn't hurried along in the time stream of this universe any more than the author is hurried along in the imaginary time of his own novel. And there's a delightful consequence to this. He says... God has infinite attention to spare for each one of us. You are as much alone with him as if you were the only human being he'd ever created. And when Christ died, he died for you individually, just as much as if you had been the only man in the world. Now, who would have thought understanding time can help you understand that point? Mm. That he is intimately in love with you as much as everybody else, and completely in fully. Mm-hmm. And this is, this is what lovers do. They spend time alone with one another. And because God is present everywhere and always, he is intimately present with you at all times. And this reminds me of a song. Better not be a Taylor Swift song, I'm just saying. <laughs> that would be a gift to people. They're not ready for a Taylor Swift song. Nobody's ready for a Taylor Swift song. <laughs> Are you ready for it? What is it? You wouldn't get that reference. There are some listeners who will. That's her opening song of her new album called Are You Ready For It? Oh my goodness. Look what you made me do. (laughs) Look what you made me do. Look look what you made me do. I did something bad, but it felt so good. (laughs) Anyway, let's... (laughs) It's it's by... This is not good. Just move on. on. (laughs) This is great. It's by Bethel Music, though. Okay, they're great. And it's called We Dance. And it talks about this beautiful relationship of you dancing with Jesus one-on-one. It's incredibly, it feels intimate and moving and beautiful. And it makes me think of another thing that I would recommend people look watch if they haven't. The YouTube video, Lifehouse Everything. So that's a song, their song Everything. There's mm-hmm. a YouTube skit. Look that up. It's the same thing. It shows this woman on stage dancing with Jesus. Oh, it's, it moved me to tears when I saw it in high school years ago. Okay, I'll put it in the show notes. But if it's cheesy, I'm going to write horrible things against it's it. It's not. It is. I stand behind that. But I also stand <laughs> yeah, behind Yeah, you stand behind a lot of things. <laughs> I, I stand behind Taylor Swift, too. 
So, returning to Lewis's analogy of the author, he says it's got limitations. And he says it primarily breaks down because the author comes out of one time series, the one in the novel, and then switches into the real time series of his own life. But God is in no time series. He says, God's life is not dribbled out moment by moment like ours. With him, it is, so to speak, still 1920 and already 1960, for his life is himself. In the second analogy Jack offers is a line on a piece of paper. If you picture time, he says, if you picture time as a straight line along with which we have to travel, then you must picture God as the whole page on which the line is drawn. We come to the parts of the line one by one. We have to leave A behind before we get to B, and we cannot reach C until we leave B behind. God from above or outside or all around contains the whole line and sees it all. And through both of these analogies, we can now hopefully see how it is that God can hear all these millions of prayers, quote-unquote, at the same time, because he's actually outside of time. And just as an aside, this is one of the ways that Catholic and Orthodox also explain the intercession of the saints. Now, you might object to saintly intercession for other reasons, but one of the ones I've often heard is, how could a mere human be able to hear these millions of prayers at the same time, wouldn't that require them to be omniscient or omnipotent? But from what Lewis has told us about how God can hear all of these prayers at the same time because he is outside of time, the same logic would apply to the saints because they are now in eternity and therefore they don't need an infinite capacity to hear and uh, pray for all of the people that are praying to them because they're outside of time. Yeah, this was mind-blowing to me because... My early assumption with all of this for God being able to answer the prayers, my, my early answer to it was he just has a special power. Mm-hmm. He's God. He's God. And so for saintly intercession to happen, he'd have to somewhat bestow this special power on them after death. But that was the wrong way to think about it. God is able to answer our prayers, not because he has some special power to hear them all at the same time and be an amazingly infinite multitasker. Mm-hmm. It's because he's outside of time. They're not coming to him moment by moment. He's in all moments. And everyone outside of time becomes the same in that sense. Part of all moments. Or at least they can share in it to some degree. Share in it. I like that. But again, only through him. Yes. So it's still coming. It's good to put that. Only through him. Anyway, this isn't an apologetics podcast. So we're going to leave that down. But I did just want to point out that the very first time I read this book and I came to this chapter and heard Lewis's explanations to how God can hear prayers... I immediately went to the saints. I was like, ah, that actually makes sense there too. Mm -hmm. Going back to the questions that I presented in the beginning of this podcast, we can start to understand these better when we understand God's relation to time. And so we're going to go through a few of these issues. In the first one, we could call, Lewis doesn't, but we could call it the sleeping God. And it's that idea that this eternal God that's everywhere, that keeps the whole universe going, Well, he became Jesus Christ. He became man. He entered into his creation. Well, how does he keep it going when he's a baby? How does he keep it going when he's in the womb, when he's asleep? Well, this whole issue relates to time. Notice the key word there, while he's sleeping, while he's in the womb. While is a time word. It's like in relation. So this all is an issue related to time. Yeah, he says... 
In other words, I was assuming that Christ's life as God was in time and that his life as the man Jesus in Palestine was a shorter period taken out of that time, just as my service in the army was a shorter period taken out of my total life. We picture God living through a period when his human life was still in the future, then coming to that period when it was present, then going on to the period when he could look back on it as something in the past. But Lewis says, we can't do that. In connecting this to the Incarnation, with his life in eternity, in addition to the issue of God being more than one person, the issue here again relates to time. Lewis says, you cannot fit Christ's earthly life in Palestine into any time relations with his life as God beyond all space and time. It is really, I suggest, a timeless truth about God that human nature and the human experience of weakness and sleep and ignorance are somehow included in his whole divine life. The human life in God is, from our point of view, a particular period in the history of our world, from the year AD 1 till crucifixion. We therefore imagine it is also a period in history of God's own existence. But we can't do that. God has no history. Lewis has a lovely way of putting this. He says he is too completely and utterly real to have one. He says because having a history means losing part of our reality because it's now in the past and being deprived of a future because it hasn't yet happened. And the, and the fact all we have is you know, the present. He says God forbid that we should think of God in that way. When we understand God in this light, this is why the incarnation is not an issue. The cross is not an issue. Him being asleep is not an issue. And I've actually heard, I've heard Muslims raise this objection. When Jesus died, who was running the universe? Now we know. Okay, another question that I brought up in the beginning is free will. If we have free will, but God knows everything. He knows what, David, you are going to do tomorrow or the next day or a year from now. He knows I'm about to drink this beer. <laughs> he knows I'm going to follow suit. But then did we have free will? The way I've always explained this is through the idea of a football game that I've already seen. If I come round to your house to watch a football game that I've seen already, I can tell you exactly what each of the players are going to do. And I'd ask the question, do those players still have free will? The answer is yes. I have just simply observed them. And I know it. But that's not quite the way that Lewis addresses it. Jack says that God doesn't simply foresee the future. No, because that assumes he's in the now and there's a future. That assumes time. That he's looking into the future yeah. rather than already being there. Yeah, well, he's, he's present in the past, in the now, and in the future. He says God doesn't foresee you doing things tomorrow. He simply sees you doing them. Because though tomorrow is not yet there for you, it is for him. He simply sees you doing them. <laughs> there is no yesterday, today, or tomorrow. And if people are still struggling with this, he says that people do believe that they have free will in this current moment. And he says, God is just present there with you in that moment, whether that moment is now or in the past or in the future. As we conclude with this, and I'm thinking back, the issue for me is not God's foreknowledge and our free will. The issue for me would be, okay, I, I believe all this, but if he knows I'm going to not choose him, doesn't he f love me so much that he will make sure I choose him? He loves you so much that the grace is always there and available 
for you to choose him. But since he loves you, he can't coerce you. It still has to be your choice to receive this free gift. And that's where the John 3.16, he loved us so much, he gave his only son. He did everything he can do without breaking free will. And Lois ends the chapter by saying that if this discussion hasn't helped you, please feel free to forget it. And then listen to us next week. <laughs> but please don't forget us, yes. Uh, please write us a review on iTunes and give us a rating. And as always, I'm going to read you a little review of a podcast that I listen to, just to inspire you with the kinds of things you might say about us. The listeners know, obviously, for your show notes, that we have an outline or an idea of what we're going to talk about ahead of time with this. We've read the chapter. We don't script this. But this is really funny. I mentioned The Art of Manliness in the beginning. I had no idea you were going to do a review of this at the end. <laughs> well, The Art of Manliness is a phenomenal podcast, and here is my review of it. In society, the art of manliness is almost dead. Fortunately, Brett McKay's podcast is here to help bring it back to life and to restore it. Brett invites a wide range of guests with diverse backgrounds to speak on different topics relating to manhood and manly virtues. Listen to this podcast and you will be able to bench press an additional 200 pounds and will suddenly have a full majestic beard. Results may vary. <laughs> Your wit continues to surprise me. As always, please feel free to contact us through restlesspilgrim.net, Twitter, Instagram, soon to be YouTube. Ooh. Yeah, we, we started seeing the early cuts. It's going to be great. I'm excited. We're very picky, though, so be patient. <laughs> By we, he means Matt. <laughs> I'll take it. Anyway, until next time, further up. And further in. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>